2: Hey y'all this is Josiah Gray and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoy today's
0: episode.
3: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. The first episode that officially is in the 2023 regular season. I am Nick. You can follow me on Twitter at the Coach Moose. I am joined by my. You see, I was going to take Amanda's thing where I used a fancy word, but I'm just going to say my co-hosts, and you guys can fill in the blank. My co-hosts Amanda and Ryan. You can follow them on Twitter at awhite7877 and at We Are All Shack, and of course follow the show at Half Street High Heat. I apologize for not coming prepared with a superb adjective for you guys, but I do appreciate you. What's going on?
1: Not too much. Had some actual baseball to watch. It was, um, you know, not always pretty, but I'll take it. It's always better to have baseball than to not have baseball. So,
3: yeah. Happy, it was, that,
1: happy to have the season underway.
3: It was more not pretty than it was pretty. Through We're recording this on Monday night after the game. So, four games under the belt. And, I've enjoyed about five and a third of them <laughs> of the yeah, quick, yeah. quick math 36 innings that we've had. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoyed about a five yeah. and a third, but we'll get to that later. Ryan, what's going on?
2: You know, just enjoying baseball. Uh great sports time right now. Baseball's back. The women uh national championship was absolutely electric. Yep. Great tournament. Men's horrible tournament. officiating. Got Augusta coming on. Ooh, egregious officiating. Men's tournament's on right now, Augusta oh, this forgot. weekend, the weather's good. Very, very underrated time of the year, man. Life's life's okay. Only okay because uh, our team stinks. But <laughs> sports are back.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to just, you know, it's funny actually watching these games with absolutely, we've said it the last couple seasons, like, oh, no expectations baseball, but it hasn't, I don't know, to me, this season feels different. Like my expectations are even, like they couldn't get any lower. So watching the games when they're losing, it doesn't even bother me. I'm just like, well, yeah, of course they're losing. I expect them to lose. So, it's a little bit, it's a little bit easier for me to take. And I don't know what it is that makes this one different, except perhaps I finally like I had the most pessimistic uh, of our entire team of everyone at, at Half Street High Heat expectations for the year. So, that's the key to happiness: low expectations, I guess. But
3: yeah, like I found myself in a kind of au- not awkward, but certainly a different situation for me personally as a fan this year where I know this team stinks. I know it and I'm not trying to convince myself or anyone else otherwise, but I am trying to like reshape the way my mindset on this team. And I'm trying to be neutral, just like call out the good shit when it happens, call out the bad shit when it happens, like when I'm live tweeting from district on deck or anything else, like I, I I'll, Good plays, I'll tweet about it. Bad plays, bad situations, which obviously there's more of right now. I'll tweet about it. And I'm trying to like not play both sides, but again be as neutral as possible um and i know i'm like like,
1: i don't feel the irritation i think that's the difference like normally i'd get oh i do and feel the irritation and i don't know for me it's just kind of like yeah whatever i mean it is what it is i actually am a little bummed i didn't get to watch the game on uh, yesterday's game which was the only decent one the
3: only decent one right
1: i was at the caps game which was not decent at all yeah
3: it was also like very irritating um which (laughs) most caps games have been this year but like my irritation doesn't come from the players it comes from Davey Martinez and I, I will save that rant. yeah, I will. <laughs> yes, exactly. I will save that rant. We're bringing back the good, the bad, and the ugly um, today, which is obviously a recurring segment for any of our longtime listeners. We'll talk about all of that stuff over the past four Nats games as we, um, you know, trudge through tonight's episode and the four games that the Nats have played thus far. Is that a word? Trudge
1: it is which is a great i just love the idea like as we trudge through the episode thank you for trudging with us yeah all of you who are listening we yeah. appreciate you
3: yeah half street trudge street there you trudge, go. Heat, trudge heat trudge yeah we're shopping it but as ryan alluded to sports are back but that's not the only thing that's back yes the week in review is also back
1: and the crowd goes wild <laughs>
3: <laughs> ryan take it away
2: you miss it yeah that's what we like to hear. Thank you, Amanda. Baseball is back. The first four games of the end of the season came, and was the first four we saw with the new rule changes, and I got to say, baseball's back, baby. The rule changes are fantastic. The average time of game this weekend was two hours and 41 minutes. Yeah. Offense was up. The league-wide slash line was up by 15 points or more for batting average, on base, and slugging. Stolen bases are back. 70 stolen bases on 84 attempts. There was less than one pitch clock violation per game. League Babip is 310, and we're seeing singles again. Baseball is back. Anthony Rendon, you guys know him? Former national. Well, he suspended five games. Uh, he swung at a fan. Rendon did not make contact with the swing, something Angels fans are very familiar with. Adam Duvall, who I wanted the Nationals to sign, made history in his first. Weekend as a Red Sox. He was the first, sorry, the only player in MLB history to have a double, a triple, and a walk-off home run with five plus RBIs in the same game. Adley Rutschman was the first catcher in MLB history with five hits on opening day. And he's the first player ever to go five for five with four RBIs or better on opening day. Dodgers are a wagon. Uh Trace Thompson, three home runs, eight RBIs in a season debut. All three home runs were hit 107.5 miles per hour. We are living in the matrix. To the end of the least. in last place, are the only winless team in the league. the Uh Philadelphia Phillies, sitting at 0-4, their season's off to a dreadful start, as bad as you can get. The offense is good. They're seventh in the league in WRC+, but they allowed 27 runs in the first two games of the season. Wheeler and Nola started those. That is the most runs given up to start a season for the Phillies since 1895. It gets better. They're playing the Yankees right now, and they got absolutely blown out in the first game of the season. In fourth place are the 1-3 and Marlins. They dropped 3-4 of four to the Mets, and they're trying to mask the bad roster construction by putting Jazz Chisholm in center field. It didn't go very well. A lot of growing pains out there for him. Jazz missed quite a lot of the balls in center field. They play the Twins up next. In third place are your Washington Nationals. More on them in a second. In second place are the 2-1, soon to be 3-1 Braves. They took 2-3 from the Nats. They didn't look good this weekend. They did not play good ball. uh, Max Free got hurt. They didn't play good defense. Bad with the runners in scoring position. And that series was rather easy for them. They're playing the Cardinals right now, and that first game is rather easy for them as they're winning 8-3 right now as they finish up their three-game set with the Cardinals this week. And first are the now 3-2 and Mets. They're 3-1 when I wrote this. Uh, no keeping up with the Mets this week. Nothing too crazy happened, although Justin Verlander did pull his armpit about 10 minutes before opening day, so that's kind of funny. Um, they did make quick work of Miami. They immediately got blown out in Milwaukee, losing 10 nothing. Kode Singa makes his long awaited debut, and he did not disappoint. He went 5.1 innings, striking out 8 and gave up one earned run. The Mets, despite the game today, look like they're going to be another problem in the NLEs. This has been your first week in review of many of the 2023
1: season. Nice. I have to say, I think the Phillies and C.J. Abrams are colluding to disprove all of my wilder predictions in
2: our last episode. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's it's only been 1.8% of the season.
1: Yeah, so I'll I'll withhold judgment, but I will say, you know, I think it's a little early to judge the Phillies, but I would love nothing more than for the Phillies to completely suck, despite my my preseason predictions. I loathe them and wish only bad things to happen to them.
3: They have too many of my favorite players now. Like, it's hard to root against them. (laughs) Mm,
1: I can still do it. It's all about the name on the front of the jersey. Nick, not on the back.
3: They've colluded against me and are recruiting <laughs> my favorite players. So I know. Trey
1: Turner to... being a Philly is like, it causes me almost physical pain.
3: Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And they have Ryan's favorite player, Kyle Schwarber as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, My like initial takeaway, and I'm, I love that you started with it, Ryan, is all the rule changes. And yeah, it's been, you know, at the time of, the the data collection only three games or four days of the season however you want to frame it but the rule changes have been awesome offensive offense up and time of game down like that's the best case scenario and not to mention all of the stolen bases like that you you know Amanda you've been a a large proponent of this but that brings strategy back into the game like Mm -hmm. that's introducing a ton of strategy that was not there Almost at all. It was almost impossible to steal a base. Like, unless you have otherworldly speed, which some yeah. of these guys do. But now you're seeing hit and runs. You're seeing guys just, like, swipe yeah, a lot bases. Because
1: a lot of singles. And with a right. lot of singles, you, you got a lot more strategy trying to get those runs in. And right.
3: Cool. And that's what a majority of the offensive slash line uh, improvement has come from it. it has been off singles but you're getting guys that are just savvy ball players. so they'll force a, a pitcher to throw over I think it's like the max of three times or whatever it is and step off once or whatever the exact rule is I, I forget you know while we're recording this but they'll they'll make they'll max a pitcher out on throw over attempts and then just have a free bag to steal like it, it's it's really cool to see you know the gamesmanship go on and obviously it goes both ways with the pitch clock you know you see Mackenzie Gore who we'll talk about in a little bit you know he was ready to go two minutes before you you know the, the, the game was even slated to start and he had really nice pace especially through his first inning and maybe it was just like a lot of anxiety and build up for the moment but Like he had really nice pace, like was not letting the hitters get comfortable in the box as he was going at them with, you know, 94, 95 on his fastball. Like it was really cool to see. And obviously it's not just him, you know, it's been pitchers. We saw Max in spring training against the Nats of all teams, like him trying to work the pitch clock to his, uh, his advantage. So it's been really cool to see the players adjust to the rule changes, but it is nice to know that the rule changes changes as a whole have been working so well you know, so far throughout the season.
1: I do have a quick question. I'd love to get thoughts from the two of you on is I've heard lots of talk on, um, you know, MLB network radio and other talk shows and just seen a lot of, you know, articles written about these rule changes. And I like the way the game, the pacing of the game is certainly improved, especially as a television product, two and a half hours, two hours and 45 minutes, somewhere in that range is just so much more palatable when you're watching it on TV But I've heard a lot of people saying, you know, you get up, it's moving so fast now that if you're at the stadium and you get up to go to the bathroom and get a beer and you wait in line and you come back and you miss three innings. And um, I wonder about how many people at at the games themselves might stop getting up and going to go do things as much because they miss too much of the game and how that might affect The owners, as far as concession sales, you know, shorter games, maybe people getting up less frequently because they don't want to miss too much of the game. I mean, you can miss a third of the game on one trip. You know what I mean? So I I just wonder if this shows up as big decreases in merch sales and concession sales and stuff, if any of these changes might be tweaked or done away with. Or I even heard somebody suggest maybe they should open the stadium up an hour earlier than they do like i think at the nats it's 90 minutes you know maybe it could be two and a half hours instead of an hour and a half you know let people get in and watch bp and spend some money so i don't know It was just an interesting thing you know the the owners are always about the bottom line and while this is better for the tv audiences it seems like it could be detrimental to the the money that they're going to make in stadium
2: boo who i knew i
1: knew
3: i we're right oh i'm not feeling bad. sorry for
1: them i'm simply asking is that going to lead to some of these changes either being rolled back or changed in some way i'm just curious because well, it's I always with the owners about the money so what what if this is a big you know what if this causes a big huge crash in in stadium revenue is that going to make or are they going to keep these changes in place
2: um, well, one, Momosan for the absolute poor billionaires. My <laughs> hearts really go out for them, especially the learners who only were 6.3 billion. Really, really terrible for them. Just um, a couple thoughts on that. Good. I'm glad because it's so freaking annoying when people get up like in the middle of <laughs> that bat Two, beer vendors come around, stay in your seat three yeah but what about food vendors couldn't they send more food vendors around oh eat before you go like that's not it's not my problem but, if
1: you go with kids that's not the way it
2: works uh, well i don't have any so that's not my problem but <laughs> no they're they're not going to because it truly doesn't matter what happens in the game because the way the national tv contracts are in the way revenue sharing is they're making money Regardless, it doesn't really care. I've so people are so dramatic. They're like, oh man, I, I went up, I missed two innings. That was the only game of the year people are gonna be at. It's the fourth game of the year and that's had ten thousand people at. Like you can you can <laughs> go you can go get a beer, get a hot dog, get whatever you want, and you'll probably miss three pitches at an absolute game.
3: Yeah. Yeah,
1: At a Nats game, that's probably true.
3: (laughs) Yeah. To to Ryan's point, like, I don't think it's much of an issue now, but there are several ways you can kind of combat this without rolling back the rule changes. The first thing that comes to my head is the QR codes. The Nats already have a system like that. Granted, it's for the PNC Diamond Club or whatever behind home plate, like those sections. But, you know, you have a QR code, you place your order on, on your phone and someone comes and delivers it to you. Like that's the, the fr- that granted, kind of thing
1: is the answer for sure. But yeah, like so with kids, like granted, if they want you, a hot dog and I have to pee and I have to, you know, I want popcorn and can I have ice cream? And I just I feel percent. like it, and you don't see a lot of people out walking. Like you see beer vendors, but you don't really see a lot of food vendors. No, I know. But
3: like it, um, I was getting to that, like I, I think to do something like that, you have to have more vendors. So hopefully the answer to this in like a ideal world is not to oh this is hurting our bottom dollar like let's roll it back so we make more money hopefully it's like all right we gotta you know spend money to make money so to speak and hire more vendors and make the system a little bit more efficient especially for because obviously it's not an ads problem right now with the lack of attendance but you know the the yankees the the dodgers all those teams with competitive products on the field like they're gonna want to keep the fans engaged and you know be able to provide uh the fans you know with everything they want but also encourage the fans to spend money um so i think they there will be kind of natural responses to that not just undoing what has clearly worked for the actual on-field product they, they'll adapt the fan aspect of the rule changes as we go along
1: yeah i think you're probably right about that i think there's they're going to have to do something to address it in the stadium, but I don't think they'll roll, roll the rules back. And I am sh- surprised how much I enjoy the rule changes. You know, I'm usually the Luddite, you know, like I don't like to see anything change, but the faster games are great. I mean, it is great. I love baseball. I mean, all, all of us, obviously we have a baseball podcast. All the people listening to this are obviously pretty good baseball fans. They're listening to baseball podcasts. But even for somebody who likes baseball as much as me, like three and a half, four hour games, are, that's hard to sit through. In stadium or on TV. I mean, they needed something. And this is definitely working. And I actually really like seeing how... How quickly it's moving and how it's introducing this whole new aspect. I really do. I know it's it's a, a moot point because the the DH is here to stay and National League Baseball is no more. But I miss some of the the gamesmanship and the, and the strategy of that. And I think Nick, to your point that you made earlier, that this does reintroduce a lot of that. Not just the pitch clock, but you know some of the other rule changes, the bigger bases, the the step offs, the uh, you know the the banning the shift. There's a lot of things that are making it making it more fun really than I think it was last season.
3: Yeah. Agreed. Uh, the last point to the concession aspect of all it, like I saw it, I went to the first caps game of, of the year a couple weeks ago on the OB bobblehead night. And then I saw the Nats have incorporated it as well, but the just like uh, almost like f- not frozen food aisle, but the aisle of just beer that you can mm. just go get from the fridge. And it's like a self checkout operation. You just have a couple yeah. of, of ushers there just monitoring so no one just you know takes a beer and run uh, type thing but like those are really quick for speeding up lines too and I saw it wasn't you know for every stand because obviously the specialty food items like our food uh, concessions like you're not gonna be able to do that but you know they just load up the the little hot bar with you know your chicken tenders and fries or your Italian sausages or whatever you just grab pay and go and that helps speed up the lines too as opposed to oh get up there order wait for your food pay oh forgot this gotta go back like you know that that's just a long long drudged out process but this helps a little bit and I think you'll see more of uh, an expedited process as we as we go through but we'll see we'll see all right let's get into the actual baseball aspect of all this and get into our good the bad and the ugly segment Um, for those that are new to the show first of all we appreciate you joining us but The good, the bad, and ugly is as it sounds. We talk about the good things that happened uh, since our last episode and during these dance games, talk about the bad things and, of course, the ugly things. Um, And (laughs) with the the state of the team, obviously, there's more bad and ugly than good, but we'll try to balance it out as well. Um, So let's start with the good. Let's start on a positive note. Mackenzie Gore. Uh, I I want to start there. Obviously, there's a couple of different aspects we'll talk about, but Mackenzie Gore was almost like through one start. It's very early in the season, but like the prince that was promised, (laughs) like it (laughs) it was such a welcome sight after the first two games of the season going the way they did, especially with our starters. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, I don't even think he had his best stuff. I just think his stuff was that good um his fastball averaged 94.7 it got up to 96 and a half he mixed his uh his slider and curveball well uh and really he just relied heavily on his fastball i, I believe he threw 60, like 70 I think no math no i think he actually might have thrown like not close to 90 pitches and 60 of them were fastball something like mm-hmm. that like so, he relied on his fastball heavily, and he just throws a four seamer. So it's not like he was relying on a sinker to induce ground balls or anything like that. He just has a really good fastball. He struggled with command a little bit, which was his kind of bugaboo throughout the minors. But you know, if the result is five and a third, three hits, one run, I mean, shoot, if you're gonna walk a couple guys here and there, like I can live with that. Granted, you know, you want to see the walks come down. His whip was still. but again you can't argue with the result and you certainly see the potential that he has so he's by far and away the the good story of the weekend
1: yeah i would definitely agree with that i also loved his attitude he was just like super amped up and ready to ready to start before it was game time and and you know when he did get cold and hunter harvey came in he was still just like super engaged and cheering from the dugout and i don't know like the whole thing i just i love this kid he had a great outing obviously it's one outing you can't read too much into it but he was terrific I will. And, uh, <laughs> yeah i know well we got to take the good right take the right. take the good and uh yeah he was uh, you know the prince who was promised i might have to get through like three starts before i'm, <laughs> I'm on that train but but uh, yeah, he was definitely the the bright spot amongst the uh, the starting rotation so far.
3: Yeah, sixty three point four percent of the time. So Amanda, I you're right. That's how much he threw the fastball. Ryan, what are your thoughts on Mackenzie Gore?
2: Yeah, I mean Gore looked he looked good. It's this the stuff is there, which is the most exciting takeaway. Uh, a lot of what he looked like is what we've seen from him in the past. He has a time to get wild and lose the strike zone. Four walks, as evident by that. But when he's in the strike zone, his stuff is good. The stuff is there. It's going to be up to the Nats to be able to take him to that next level. But this was you know, almost as great of a start as you could have wanted. Um, All of his secondary velocities was up. Not the biggest fan of his slider. I feel like it's more of a gyro cutter. I think he throws it a little too hard. And he doesn't have enough velocity in his fastball, but we'll talk about that in a little. His fastball is good. He gets great movement on his fastball. It's fun to watch, and he can locate it really, really well. That's fantastic. That should bring him a lot of success. The slider is going to need to be a little bit tweaked, and that is going to be the key for him going to that next level because if he ever does lose a little bit of velocity on his fastball and some starts, having that slider to help break things up would be really good. Right now, his slider is averaging ninety, a little over 89. His fastball is... Averaging 94, that can create a little inconsistencies inconsistencies from innings to inning. But the most important stat is he had 32% CSW, which very, very great to see because he faced a very good lineup in the Braves, and the stuff's there. Homie just needs a little bit of tweaking. I'm very excited about him. He was the guy I was most excited coming into the year, and my excitement is only at that level or more so after his first start
3: yeah and i think uh, to your point about throwing his slider uh, like a gyro cutter type thing uh for anyone who doesn't know gyro is kind of like horizontal spin um i think franny said it i was trying to remember when he said it but i think franny said it on the broadcast like some of his sliders he was throwing through the break where basically you're just throwing it too hard you're not like trying to go with the pitch or um you know, because a slider and basically all off speed is a field pitch. It's not a power pitch like a fastball. So that's why it's crazy to see someone like a Jacob deGrom throw a mid 90s slider because that's just not normal. <laughs> and obviously, Jacob deGrom's kind of one of one. Only so many people can do that. But typically a slider is a, a field pitch and you kind of have to, you know, have a reference point for the break and all that stuff. And at times Mackenzie Gore was throwing through the break or just not really having a feel for it. But the encouraging thing you know, the underlying, maybe overlying, whatever thing uh, about his pitches is he had six strikeouts, two came on the fastball, two came on the slider and two came on the curveball, which I just thought was interesting. Like he didn't really have a put away pitch and it was that nice to, my, to be
1: able to throw all of them to get right, him out when it, you need to. And
3: that like kind of goes to my point earlier. Like, I don't even think he had his best stuff and he still had to start like this. So imagine once he does have a good slider day or a good curveball day or whatever, like what the results are. Could potentially look like and will every start look like this now, but it was nice to see in his first start with the Nats him put out a performance like this to build good faith, so to speak um, and you know, certainly super encouraging going forward. So can't wait for his next start. Uh, I don't know who we play this weekend, but yeah, he'll he won't face the race. He'll face the, the next team that uh, I think it'll be our first road trip of the year. All right, let's move on to the next good thing. Uh, K-Bear Ruiz certainly uh, had eyes on him after signing the extension. He did this off season. had the first home run of the Nats season, um, an absolute no-doubt yes. moonshot. Uh, that was deck. awesome. <laughs> um, it somehow only went 407 feet. It felt like it went 500, and just maybe that's – Because it went to the third deck, it felt like it should have been so much farther, but it was awesome. Granted, it was the only run of the game, and it came in the ninth inning, but hey, you know we'll take our wins when we can get them. The other thing I really liked, and he had a couple other hits. I think he's batting over 300 or right around there. He had, I think, an 0-3 day tonight, so might have dropped a little bit. But the other thing I really liked was in the Mackenzie Gore start. um, Mackenzie Gore had walked Ronald Acuna, I believe it was like the fifth inning walked Ronald Acuna and fell behind 2-0 to Matt Olson. And his two pitches to Matt Olson were outside fastballs and not really close. He was like yanking the fastball. So just wasn't really a competitive pitch and pretty easy take for Olson. Ruiz had repeatedly threw the Acuna at bat and through the Olson at bat, had kind of gestured to him saying, like, calm down, calm down. And after the second, Missed fastball to Olsen Ruiz called time and went out there and visited with Mackenzie Gore, which seems like such a small thing. I, I know casual fans be like, "Oh, well, that's what a catcher supposed to do." Da 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 da. Ruiz is still young too. Like he's he's not a he's not a vet. He's still learning and obviously building rapport with Ms. Mackenzie Gore. Like this is their first time really working together in, in a huge capacity um, so far while they've been teammates so for Reese to kind of identify that situation go out there calm Mackenzie Gord down really loved that from Ruiz like just a nice all-around like performance from him through four games yeah he's been great offensively but it's nice to know even though he hasn't thrown out a runner yet or anything like that he's his situational awareness is there and how did Mackenzie go respond fastball 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 strike comes back and strikes out Matt Olson and like that's obviously on Mackenzie Gore to throw the pitches, but Ruiz was the catalyst there to make it happen. So that's just one thing I really liked one small moment through these, what, what I say it was 36 innings that the Nats have played so far that uh, was really cool to see, you know, Ruiz kind of step up in the moment and help out Mackenzie Gore.
2: There was a lot of encouraging signs from Ruiz this weekend, which I was very, very excited about again. I absolutely love this stuff because, yes, it is a small sample size, but there is takeaways you can take from it. Ruiz last year, his swing decisions were atrocious. He isn't the only one. It's kind of the whole roster. He made a lot of weird swing decisions. He didn't strike out a lot, and he didn't walk a lot. When you're in his power, simply disappeared. When you want to translate the power back, cut back on your swing decisions, yes, you're going to strike out more. But you're going to turn it into power. What did he do this weekend? He didn't chase as much, uh, which made me very, very excited. Uh, his chase percentage over this weekend was 30% lower than it was last week, last year. Yes, that's only three games, but it was against rather good pitching, who is living and dying, getting people chasing all over the league. And he wasn't chasing. That made me very, very excited. What did him decreasing his chase rate lead to? He had an average exit velocity of 94.5 from this weekend. He had a 16-degree launch angle, which is higher than the league average, which is 12%. Um, His sweet spot percentage for the weekend was 44% around the league that for the start of the season. It was at 33%. You see what I'm saying? Like his barrel percentage over the weekend was 11%. The league average barrel percentage over the weekend was 6%. He stopped chasing, and he started hitting the ball harder this weekend, which was great. Also, a very, very important thing, his home run. Not because he hit it, but because where the pitch was. It was a fastball up and in, and last year, pitches up and in were dead zoned. He was egregious on pitches up and in, and last year he only hit one home run on pitches up and in. He he rematched that on the second or third game of the year. So that's rather important for Ruiz's bat to develop, is if he can consistently turn on those pitches up and in, not every single one of them has to be a home run, but when guys break out, a lot of the improvements that they make are with smarter swing decisions and be able to hit fastballs up and in. If he can continue those, we will finally see the breakthrough with Ruiz with the bat that he did in the minors, and that would be so so crucial for this franchise.
1: Yeah, those are excellent points. I I love the um the stats, and he's one of those guys to me that it's like he, he it's when you just see the eyeball test, he just feels like he's ripe for that breakout. You know what I mean? Um, he is so young still twenty twenty four twenty three. Did he turn twenty four? I think he's twenty four.
3: I believe he's twenty four.
1: Yeah, but I mean, he had that one game on that was Saturday's game where he hit that monster home run and but he had two hits that day. Um, And, you know, the, I don't know, it's hard. It's hard. Any of the stats you normally look at for guys, it's too early in the season for some of these, but when you look at RBIs and um, runs scored and that sort of thing, like this team's going to be so bad that you're going to have to look at more individual stuff, but the, seeing the development in his swing and, you know, he did so well in the minors, but, you know, being at this level facing the level of pitching that he is here, Um, you know in the majors I think it's just been an adjustment period and I think some fans have been a little bit too quick to I mean lots of fans are we're a reactionary bunch in general to to kind of say you know to judge him and and make judgments about oh he's not going to be as good as we thought he was but I think he can be every bit as good as we thought he was he just needs that time to adjust and we're already starting to see those adjustments this year and You know, if he can make those adjustments this year and next year, while the team's not really trying to contend, it would be huge if he's ready to take that step and be that player that we expect him to be by what the 2025 season, when it might matter again, 2025 might be a little optimistic, but when hopefully it will matter again.
3: Yeah. Hopefully being the uh, (laughs) operative word, it's doing a hell of a lot of work in that sentence. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: Hopefully. Um, yeah, so super encouraging signs from Ruiz there. Um, the last, there's a couple other ones, but the last large good portion in, in this segment is the bullpen. And it seems so backwards, so asinine to, to even think about, let alone talk about in this actual segment. <laughs> but it, it has been. Uh, I know Kyle Finnegan had his, his blow up uh, opening day. Um, and then, yeah, Thad Ward had uh, you know a welcome to the MLB moment. Big two run
1: shot. Uh, yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, Matt Olson welcomed him there. I believe that was on Saturday, but he still managed to go two innings. Everyone has pitched at this point um, from the bullpen. Some of them multiple innings, and uh, we'll get into that in in the ugly segment. Uh, I have one <laughs> small note that really bothered me uh, with that. But the bullpen has been pretty freaking good through 17 and two thirds innings in um, the first four games. They have a 3-1-4 ERA, and that includes the Kyle Finnegan blow up on opening day. And then obviously the Thad Ward uh, two run shot that I I act like it was was a blow up, but it was really just a one home run. 3-1-4 ERA for a bullpen is phenomenal, especially when you think about Corbin only lasting three innings. Josiah Gray only lasting
1: right. five well, they've pitched Trevor Williams innings, only
3: lasting play. five innings. Like yeah. they've done a really good job under the circumstances, yeah. but also like just in general, they've done a phenomenal job. And yeah, will they have a 3-1-4 ERA through the entire season? No. But like they can be very good. And they are proving themselves through four games to be pretty deep. You have several guys, I think Ramirez, Thompson, Ward, um, there's one other one have all gone multiple innings, which is like cool to see. see. Yeah. Thompson, Ramirez, Ward. Oh, yeah. Was it Harvey? Was one, I was trying to think of the other one. one other, was no, thinking. Harvey didn't. I think Harris might have. I don't remember. But yeah, I think four different guys have gone multiple innings, um, which is probably going to be necessary with this pitching staff and especially some of these people in the pitching staff. But I've been super impressed by the uh, bullpen. Basis Thompson has looked excellent and Ryan your guy Hunter Harvey has also looked excellent too so good call by us
2: Mm -hmm. great call by us Hunter Harvey was my breakout pitcher this year his fastball as I know in the Hashtag High Heat preview episode I talked about his fastball his fastball looks good it's ninth and stuff plus right now amongst relievers his fastball is legit and it's so funny because yes this is all incredibly small sample sizes it's still fun to talk about it's still <laughs> but we to gotta talk about you. something right right but like this team probably wins another world series if they had this bullpen when they were good Yeah. it's like this, this bullpen's good and it's so funny because now they have a good bullpen when it doesn't really matter but there's a lot of really really exciting arms in this bullpen which i'm excited about um really really excited to see hunter harvey keep pitching not really sure why Mason Thompson with three innings today. That yes. was kind of weird. Oh, we're going <laughs> to talk, talk about it. We're going
3: to talk about it. Don't do worry. No, worried.
2: I saw Nick tweeting from the District on Deck account. He was salty.
3: I'm so, livid, but continue, Ryan. Sorry.
2: <laughs> I mean, no, I'm going to be honest. I was kind of just wrapping up. <laughs> so you guys are good. Amanda, you guys.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, the bullpen has been, you know, I won't even say it's a nice surprise because it's not really surprising. I mean, we we expected them to be good. Um, it is a little bit, you know, ironic that we have this bullpen that I remember when the Nats were in 2019 when they won it all. And, and even, you know, it, the next year before it all got blown up, it was like if they could have just had even like a league average bullpen. Imagine what could have happened in, in those few years where I think it was 18 that they missed. The playoffs? I can't remember. 17. know Anyway, I just keep thinking back to those years. Like imagine if you had had not even just league average would have been such an improvement. And this bullpen would have. Yeah, it could have been a very different contention window. But I suppose that's neither here nor there at this point. Um, But yeah, they're um, they're good. Thompson going three innings was inexplicable. But and I don't like this thing. Davey seems to be on this. I'm going to try to use people in multiple innings as much as I can. I don't know what this I don't know what this is that we're doing here but right now you know there's been 36 total innings played and the bullpen has pitched half of them and that's not ideal but I I think he needs to slow his roll a little bit because the last thing we want is to then we need the starters to go deeper obviously and that should happen hopefully as they get a little bit more stretched out and they're not named Corbin but I don't know. You can't have your, you can't have your bullpen throwing half your innings. And I, I, I'm not, not liking this, uh, trying to use, you know, fewer guys for multiple innings. I feel like, I know you want to save people for the next night, but I, I I think you're going to wear out some arms pretty quickly with this, this type of strategy.
3: Yeah. Um, that's certainly the counterpoint to it. I, it's just nice to know they could go multiple innings. I'm not certainly not advocating for it. Um, Yeah, Yeah. some of these decisions are just uh
1: the three innings one tonight was like really
3: yeah but yeah we'll save that because that's certainly coming up all right let's move on to the bad section and we just have one um thing to talk about in the bad section really the bad section is kind of a, a certainly a negative connotation but it's something that's bad that could be fixed whereas it's not something that's like a prevalent recurring issue that's generally what we tried to save the ugly portion of the segment for the bad this week is cj abrams and that's not to say we've given up on cj abrams i personally am of the mindset that there are a ton of um you know underlying metrics or or factors that say cj abrams will be just fine I, i think it can really just be explained by the fact that he's 22 and was probably rushed to the majors due to the initially the Fernando Tatis injury. But I also think he was rushed to the Nats because of the trade, if we're being completely honest, because he Mm -hmm. was really the only one available after the Juan Soto trade with Mackenzie Gore being the only other MLB ready prospect and him being injured. I think the Nats wanted to have something immediate to show fans that, hey, we traded Juan Soto, but like they tried to do a a sign of good faith thing and CJ Abrams really just, wasn't ready and I think we're kind of seeing the results of that and you can't really blame him because he's 22 like what 22 year old is cons- like on average what 2020 22 year old is ready for uh the majors not many like not everyone can be Juan Soto uh or Bryce Harper or any of the other prospects we've had come up um so I think it's more just a case of fans being a little bit spoiled with some of the prospects that have come up through the Nats system and been like immediate superstars um but he, at the same time, he has been bad. Uh, he reached base for the first time tonight um, in his 10th plate appearance for the season. He got the day off yesterday, which I didn't like either, but it is what it is. Um, and it was a walk. It was a well-earned walk. He was down 0-2, ended up seeing 10 pitches and working a walk. Um, but over 10 is over 10 Like, you know, you, you can't really defend that too much. Uh, he's had some hard-hit balls, which I like, but again, and Out and out, and then defensively, he's been okay since. But opening day was rough, three errors. Oh, yeah. Um, it, yeah, there's really like again, an error is an error, like you got to look at the bottom line. I will say, in his defense, if we're looking at potential um solutions to this issue, I, I think it was just jitters, opening day jitters. It's his first opening day, and again, he's 22, but also it was. More mental mistakes, which is just like coaching and just experience, like that's going to help him. Like, he's still super inexperienced. He's only played in like 92 career games. Like, that's nothing. He hasn't even played a full season yet. So, we got to be really patient with him. There's going to be a lot of growing pains. And his three errors one was a double play ball Taylor made, and he just looked up too quick. He was trying to give the feed to Garcia too quick and he bobbled it. And it sucks, led to a run, but you know, you, kind of understand because he's just trying to make a play the second one you had orlando arcia for the braves speedy guy uh hit a chopper to Garcia or uh, sorry to abrams he throws it to first rushes the throw ends up pulling dom smith off the bag and arcia is safe the third one was a base hit to right field or maybe it was a sack fly runner tagging up going to third relay to abrams he just rushes the throw, bounces by Candelario into the dugout and scores the run. So, yes, three errors look bad. But if you kind of look at the plays themselves, it's not just like he took his time and made a bad throw. It's not like he was just a uh, complete lapse laps of judgment. He's just working a little too quickly. So hopefully with more experience, with hopefully better coaching, he settles down and uh, rebounds a little bit. But I haven't certainly haven't given up on Abrams yet but i do want to see something soon for sure
1: yeah Yeah, um (laughs) 11 plate appearances so far obviously you know with with all of the um you know the caveats it's an incredibly small sample size but um one thing that i've noticed is one thing that i had keyed on when i was looking at him as we were going to talk about him tonight was the number of pitches seen um 46 pitches is all over 11 plate appearances obviously that one walk tonight was 10 of those so Um, Yeah, not great. Um, His pitches seen per plate appearance is only four, 4.182, which is not good. I mean, you know, as you said, a lot of this was jitters, maybe for opening day, and a lot of people are focusing on the defensive errors, but you know, offensively hasn't looked great either. I I think he's going to be fine. Obviously, you know, if any of you who are listening now listen to our preview episode, I'm I'm high on Abrams. I think he's going to have a good year. I think he's just young and he's, he's got a lot of, this is the age at which guys are working these issues out um, at double and triple a, and he's working these issues out at the major league level, which is tough for anybody. And um, you know, it's, it's hard to be in the spotlight, especially when you were part of such a huge trade and, I, I imagine there's just a lot of pressure there. So I think he'll settle in, especially as y- you know, the the bright lights of the the beginning of the season fade, and, you know, this team is not going to get a lot of attention. So he'll be able to just settle in and and you know, get his work in, you know, work on work on the defense well, on the defense and the offense and and just, you know, he's going to be fine. I'm not too concerned for him, but it was definitely not a good opening weekend for Abrams
2: <laughs> to say the least. Uh kind of the worst possible start to a season he could have. I I'm not very high in his bat. I wasn't very high in his bat coming into the season. Didn't think he'd be over ten, but like him slugging at the plate sluggish at the plate's not very surprising. He did, however, have his first barrel as a national tonight. So he finally has one barrel. He went a while without getting a barrel, but we finally got one, baby. We're, we're moving there. Progress. Absolutely. His his strength is his speed and his defense. I think that is what he's going to be known for. But, like, you just, just going to have to bear with it. It's growing pains. Shouldn't be making some of the mistakes we're seeing with him. And I do get a little, uh, when the ball is hit to him, just because didn't have the best start to the season. He did struggle a little bit last year. But like Nick was saying, got to have the patience. Got to have the growing growing pains with him this team's gonna win 55 games there's no better place for him to just stay up here and just work all this out maybe he'll have a commercial like lucas giolito day where they're like lucas giolito the worst pitcher in baseball <laughs> like lucas giolito was able to do that because the white Sox were terrible and it didn't matter mm-hmm. it doesn't matter like just be patient the club is going to continue to develop I need to see a lot on that offensive side. We could talk about that at a different time, but not worry about him defensively. He's young. These mental mistakes happen. Not really concerned defensively. You just got to be patient with the young guys.
3: For sure. And the uh, it's super, super small sample size. And actually looking at baseball savant, it doesn't even include tonight's performance. But... Through his first few at bats, his launch angle has been much better than it was last year. He's not hitting the ball into the ground as much, um, which was just such a baffling thing that they tried to do last year with him.
1: Um,
3: and I, he might I have, have actually, forgotten
1: about that, or yeah, he might out have out actually
3: overcorrected uh a little bit, and he needs to focus on hitting more line drives than trying to elevate the ball. Cause like Ryan said, he's not really known for his bat and he's not going to hit like 30 bombs or anything like that, but he needs to at least hit it over the infield. So it's kind of a, a nice happy medium between last year. And then the short sample size this year is probably where he wants to be. What'd you say Garcia or uh, not Garcia Ruiz's launch angle was 16%. Yeah. Yeah. Abrams is at a 26.5%. And he can't be doing that with the the, without the power behind it and he doesn't have that so he needs to focus on more line drives and, and stuff like that. Like oh I'm not trying to get into too much of a tangent, but like rather than hitting ground balls, why don't we just focus on line drives? Like that achieves the same thing. Like why would why 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 <laughs> like why was hitting a ground balls ever a mindset? Just baffling to me. Um but let's get into it because that's actually a portion of the ugly segment um, actually we're not going to start that we're, we're going to end the segment with, uh, the Davy Martinez and coaching staff aspect of it. We'll start with the topic. That's uncomfortable for me to talk about. Um, so I will hand it off to Ryan, Josiah gray, unfortunately lands in the ugly segment for us. And, uh, I'm just going to choose to abstain from this.
2: Yeah. So in, yeah. in our, in our season preview, I said Gray needed to make a couple of improvements for him to be able be a five. So that's how we were coming into the season. I was low on Gray. Last year was not very good. Uh Gray had an issue walking, guys, immediately giving up a home run. Going into the game, the wind was blowing out straight away center field. We knew it was gonna be bad, and it was. Um The Braves started off season going, sorry, not season. They started off the game going back to back off gray
3: which i made you know, money on at least i just exactly. have to point that out. so there.
2: that's 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 a win right but there's a couple of things that are rather concerning we saw for gray in the first start of the year yes i keep noting that this is small sample size because with stats with data small sample size is tricky but you have to take this in consideration with the struggles we saw last year last year josiah's gray fastball was the worst pitch in baseball I'm not, that's not me being dramatic. It was a statistical fact. It was flat. In his start, his fastball averaged 13.75 IVB. Last year, he was a 17 IVB. His fastball got worse. His fastball was even flatter than it was last year, which is rather concerning because it was already very, very flat last year. And if it's even flatter guys are going to tee off it even more than they did last year. So Gray had a very strong spring training. They talked about his cutter. So he he threw it. He threw his cutter. Uh, It had five inches of arm side movement with 12 inches of vertical break, a.k.a. ride. It got obliterated. Uh, The Braves had a 98 mile per hour average exit velocity on his cutter. It's back to the drawing board on that thing. It wasn't – moving as much as you want a, a cutter to move, and they're teeing off on it. So take that with the cutter that was bad, which was his big off-season improvement to help the fastball, but the fastball looked worse. We have an issue. And like, yes, this is only four games into the season. He's only made one start, but if that trend continues with him, it just baffles me how people are keeping their jobs. Because that's Unacceptable. Like <laughs> that's a cataclysmic failure of his coaching staff to gray if those vows, if those trends continue for him this season, that's gonna be something very interesting to monitor because that first start, I got a lot of questions for his coaching staff, and I know they're not gonna answer it because no one's actually gonna ask.
1: First of all, how dare you? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I got a question. First of all, how dare you?
1: Exactly. That would be the first one for the coaching stuff. Yeah. This one's hard because, you know, there were, when you see these guys come in in these big trades and you just, and, and, you know, in baseball, not, not all prospects hit, you know, that percentage wise, a lot of them are, are not going to hit, but gray was one where I just felt like when you make that trade, you have to get sure things. And this, it is, I think cataclysmic is a little bit further than I'm willing to go. Right now, but Ryan, I think you're on the right track, is that if that fastball is getting worse instead of better, and that cutter, which was so hyped up, so talked about during spring training, which he, he hardly threw. That was really weird. Um, and when he did throw it, it wasn't good. I don't know. I'm uh I'm definitely on the my concerned face for Josiah Gray.
2: And it's and it sucks because like I like Gray. We had him on the pot. I was very high on him when he came here. But, like... Not
3: this, the right spot for him, basically. Not the right to.
2: spot for him at all. And if at you this, need to
1: be developed as a player... Then oh, my God.
2: Anywhere today, but here. Literally, like, if if he was on any other team, he's a three, but he's here. And, like, I don't even know if he could compete in the bullpen right now because he's a mess. And I saw something that made me laugh. Um, The Rays took... Zach Eflin's changeup, yep, and added more backspin to it. And his changeup is absolutely disgusting. They got his changeup to move the opposite way even more. We can't even grade the throw of fastball normally. Like,
1: what is happening here? Well, what's happening is we do not have the Rays player development staff. But it's when it you close look it. at. No, not even close. And when you look at the, you know, like the kind of advanced metrics on Gray, like obviously there's one start is not enough to take much away from, but you know, when you look the last two years, they're, they're not, they haven't been good. And if you're not seeing improvement, which, you know, through one start, it certainly doesn't look like we're seeing much in the way of improvement. Like it's, if he's like, can he even be a back of the rotation starter? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be. This is the ugly segment, so I suppose we can be a little bit more pessimistic. I'm trying not to be too much of a pessimist. But, you know, he's um, he's one of those guys where by the end of last year, I started out very high on him. And by the end of last year, I could just feel my like feeling more deflated and more deflated as the season went on. Like, is this really going to be a guy who doesn't work out? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And I don't want him to be. I don't want him to be a guy who doesn't work out. But it's hard when. You know, you listen to those those stats you just said, right, about the, the the movement on the fastball. And, you know, it's going in the wrong direction instead of the right direction. And how do you turn it around when you've got the same coaching staff? Like, It's not like anybody's pulling the panic button and being like, OK, you know, this is a huge problem. We need to figure it out. Everybody's just going along like mm-hmm. like it's no problem. Nobody's getting fired. There's no changes being made. Like and why are we going to expect the results to be different when nothing's changed?
2: It's like, just frustrating. Sorry, Nick. No, go ahead. But when you like, yes, it's the first start of the year. A lot of things are at like, there's a lot of different variables to go to play in it. He was throwing on the 75 degree day. Like, yes, there was a little bit wind blowing out, but like, it's not like it was very, very cold. That impacts your grip. It's not like it was humid. and your hands are going to get a little more clammy and it impacts your grip. It was rather perfect conditions. And his fastball came out that bad. And I'm just a little flustered why the focus was on the cutter when it should have been on a sinker this off season.
3: Yeah. And that, that's a hundred percent where I was going to go. And that's, you know, I know you and I were texting about that as well. Cause I'm like, I, I know you guys like gray and all that stuff. I will die on the Hill that I'm the highest on gray. And I, yes, I have been, I own his Jersey. Hey, <laughs> me too. Um, but, And like, I I just, I, I'm probably going to die on this hill. I'm probably going to get murdered on this hill. Uh, Like the, the way things are going with the Nats and their lack of development and great. And I don't even think it's his fault. Like he was in the perfect situation with the Dodgers or one of like the three perfect situations for him. And then he gets straight into the worst situation for him. And seeing what's happened to Josiah Gray and quite honestly, even to a guy like Patrick Corbin has completely soured me on the idea of taking a pitcher in this draft. And like I am, I want to just buy pitching for the rest of my life. I never want to have to rely on developing pitching because I am petrified of what this team cannot do. And that's develop pitching or just... Not even develop pitching, but help their pitchers. Like Zach Eflin was not a guy the Rays needed to develop, but they certainly helped them. And like it, there's so many more examples. Austin both with the Orioles last year. If you want to, you know, talk about a situation close to home, like that was a huge si- situation that we were monitoring last year with the Orioles being able to do what the Nats couldn't. And the baffling Jesse Doherty story about how the Nats refused to release. Austin both for so long because they could, they could identify the potential with him. They just couldn't do anything to, to manifest it, to make it a reality. And he goes to Baltimore and immediately becomes an effective pitcher for him. Like it's just mind boggling that they can't figure out one simple thing. Ryan brings this up from time to time too Joe Gonzalez. When he left the Nats, the Brewers literally moved him to the left side of the rubber and he became an effective pitcher again. Like they didn't even change his mechanics at all. They just changed where he set up on the mound. Like it's not like you need these revelational things to to fix these pitchers. They're all major league pitchers. It's just the Nats are not a major league franchise when it comes to like helping their pitchers. We've been spoiled by the generational talents in Max Scherzer and Steven Strasberg, and even to an extent, Patrick Corbin, like. He, he had his best years elsewhere, not with the Nats. Like we've been spoiled by that and to thinking like the Nats have good pitching. No, they've bought all their pitching and that's a fine strategy, but like we, that's why the rebuild is, is such a problem because you're relying solely on your ability to develop and you can't, but to Josiah Gray's point and to Ryan's point about the sinker. I, I didn't realize he had been throwing a sinker. like Baseball savant has him throwing 95 sinkers last year. Granted, it's only like 3.7%. He threw like 2,500 pitchers last year and 95 sinkers is not a huge amount. And then it has him throwing seven on Saturday, which I didn't realize. But it also has him throwing 17 cutters to 14 four-seam fastballs, which I didn't think was the case either. But maybe it was just because his cutter was not moving at all so it looked like a four-seam fastball and we know his fastball is not great it's it's just a rough situation and you could see gray trying and that's what's so like amanda to borrow word deflating about the whole situation you see gray trying like he knew for a fact his fastball was not good he had okunha down 0-2, and he just hung a slider it was a bad O2 pitch and okunha made him pay and then there was a another situation where he was like I think it was to Olsen, he was deathly afraid to throw Olsen a fastball and kept throwing him curveballs and eventually struck out Olsen. But then later in in his outing, he got too reliant on throwing the curveball and he kept missing. And then it started started to get hit really hard because you're just throwing your curveball too much. And if guys know it's coming, they're going to hit it hard. These are major league hitters, and the Braves are obviously a very good team. So like the whole situation is just really deflating because you saw Josiah Gray try to you know, go to the pitch that's working. And that's what common sense tells you to do. But like, (laughs) you can only do that for so long. And it just does not feel from a third party perspective or like a fan perspective that he's getting any help whatsoever. And it just sucks. Like it's like the most gut punched thing. I didn't think I could experience with the team that I had zero expectations for, because I'm seeing a guy I really enjoy. And I really want to succeed fail because the organization is just doing nothing for him.
2: And I said this last year when we were talking about Gray. It was unfortunate because Gray has the hardest fix in baseball, a bad fastball. A bad fastball is very, very hard to fix. Even the teams that are good at developing struggle with it, but it can be done and it can be fixed. But it just goes back to the same point. It's a perfect shitstorm. He's at the worst place you could possibly be when you have a fatal flaw. Like, this team never really invested in the analytics team never really invested in player development the way they scouts kind of behind you add all that up and you kind of get the mess we're in and you kind of get a lot of guys who are doing a little bit of this service given to them and it's just frustrating
1: it really is frustrating for me it's, it's one thing to be like hey this team doesn't have a lot of good players and that's just you know you just accept that you're like hey they're in a rebuild they don't have a lot of great players but when they have players where you're like i know if that player were in a different spot, they'd be good. Like if I know if Josiah Gray were on the Rays, he would be a very different guy than he is for the Nats. So that is what I have a really hard time with. That is what I find really, really frustrating is to know that an investment in better coaching and better development and better analytics would make some of these guys that we're like, oh, they didn't work out. Well, they didn't work. And like you were talking about Nick, some you you gave some great examples of guys who just went someplace else and they were better. And it's not because they were a different guy. They were the same guy. It was just that we couldn't get the best out of them. And that is really, really frustrating.
3: Yeah. Cause there hasn't been a single, uh, well, I I won't go that far. There hasn't been many really at all examples of a guy really struggling elsewhere and then finding a home here. If anything, it's a lightning in a bottle, 60 game stretch, and then it goes away, but you know, you haven't found the Island of misfit toys and mm-hmm. then bring them in. And he's like a key foundational piece. Like I know someone's going to throw Carl Edwards jr. In my face.
1: Right. But it's guys Fine, to me but, who have, like, who have been developed elsewhere. You don't see young yeah. guys come to the Nats right. and get developed into something good here. What you get are guys like Daniel Murphy is a good example who was already good and came here and was, you know, he had a great stretch here with the Nats, but those are guys who are already established major leaguers who yeah. Can maybe come here and figure something. But and guys, like you know, you talk about the kind of talents we've had, like Scherzer. Scherzer didn't need any help. He, no. he knew how to pitch. He he knew what he was doing.
3: Same thing and, with and didn't need development. Generational talent,
1: right? Exactly. And that is, it's just very frustrating to know that I. It's one thing to say, hey, we're only going to have our payroll at X dollars for players, but
3: it, to not support there are so them many. Just... There
1: are so many teams that have done such a better job of investing in the back end staff that's required to really be a juggernaut and have a great player development thing like I'm so jealous of the the Dodgers and the Rays and and these teams that do such an amazing job of they just churn out guys like you haven't heard of they weren't high draft picks they didn't have high expectations and then you just they they all of a sudden are like wow who's this guy you never see that with guys like we've had some sure things I mean like anybody you know you talk about oh they've had some great draft picks like anybody would have drafted Bryce Harper and Steven Strasburg like it's not hard to draft those guys it's it's harder to draft guys that have something that you can develop and then being able to actually develop it and that's what we don't do
2: no not at all and here's the other thing we're gonna continue having this conversation about probably every single prospect we have until they completely clean house. And that's the thing people also don't want to admit either is every single person in this front office and every single person in this coaching staff needs to be gone for there to actually be changed. And every year there isn't this rebuild gets a little bit longer and people don't want to admit that either.
3: Yeah. uh, I think, yeah, First of all, love this discussion. Great discussion. Great job, both of you. Um, But I I don't want to get too into it. But I was like, at first, okay, with Rizzo outlasting Davy, But I think, you know, we just need a clean, clean start, fresh start. Especially for the sake of our
1: and young go guys, get people who are doing good things on other teams. Go yeah, from right. yeah, from the good
3: organizations,
1: right? From the good organizations, go yeah. get their guys. Go pay yeah. them more than what they're getting paid, and give them an offer that's too good to refuse. You know?
3: Yeah, like absolutely. I don't
1: know. It's not it's not rocket science. Go get the guys who are good at it.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not just the guys that have been around forever, and not the retreads either. I'm done with the retreads. Go get yes. someone fresh with no ideas. All right, uh, we're already over an hour, but it was a good conversation. I want to wrap up the, the ugly segment with, I think is just as important of uh, an issue and kind of something we were uh, heading towards with that discussion. And that's the coaching. Uh, I did want to talk about the runners in scoring position uh, through four games. The Nats are two for 23 with the runners in scoring position. That a lot of it is just because the lineup stinks. Um, so <laughs> if you guys want to touch on that, we can but I think the coaching has been some of the worst coaching I've seen in recent memory. And I was never a high on David Martinez to begin with. I thought he was always quite frankly, a terrible coach. I thought his only good stretch of good coaching came in the, in the 2019 playoffs. And granted that's when it matters, but you have to have good coaching and good managerial uh, flow and, and expertise or whatever throughout the regular season to get to even to even get to the postseason, And not that that's on the table for us this year or last year or next year or anything like that, but it matters. It matters so much. And through the four games, the Nats have looked undisciplined, unprepared, and just flat out bad and not because they're without talent. It's just, I, I think this staff top to bottom is terrible. David Martinez has gotten guys that he trusts and that are his friends, but I don't think they're particularly good at their jobs. Like Darnell Coles, for example. I mean, we talked about him like preaching, hitting ground balls last year when the shift was still happening. Like it'd be one thing for him to preach it this year, but to preach it last year when people could shift and, you know, align defensively, however they want, makes no sense whatsoever, especially in the age of launch angles and, and elevating the ball, like makes no sense. It's like when NFL coaches say, oh, we got to run the ball to win, which isn't wrong, but it's like, it's clearly a running or a, a, an air raid offense. Like it's just stupid, it's so backwards. Jim Hickey, I mean, I could go on for days and days about how terrible of a pitching coach he is. And I think Davey is just a flat out bad manager. There was a situation um, yesterday. So we're recording this Monday night, Sunday. Uh, first inning, um, Nats have two runners on. uh, J-Meer Candelario has a 3 0 count. And chases a changeup uh, for strike one. And granted, he ended up walking, but a 3 0 count swinging at a changeup outside of the zone, not a fastball, a changeup outside of the zone is just flat out undisciplined. And Jamer's a vet too. You want to set an example for your young players, and especially young players who have a proclivity for chasing pitches. Like, how is that like? It's just, again, it just goes to my point. They're so undisciplined right now and they're young guys. They're going to be undisciplined. It's on the coaching staff to write, write the ship and on the vets who you supposedly bring in like Corey Dickerson, for example, and not to throw a stray at Corey Dickerson. It's on them to set the example and help out the young guys. And they're not doing that right now. Like there was comments. Uh, I don't know if it was Jesse Doherty or someone from the post or Mark Zuckerman, whoever it was who interviewed or asked the question Davey after the opening day, uh, game and Davey said, oh yeah, they were nervous. I think he was talking about CJ Abrams in this, uh, instance. Yeah, they were nervous and I was nervous. And I think we were all just nervous. Why the hell are we nervous? You're, you're like going into your sixth opening day. As manager. I you're supposed why to be like nervous, the steady hand. <laughs> we have vets who are like in their 10th opening day. Like, why are we nervous? Like, yeah, I get a guy like CJ Abrams. It's it's 22 year old first opening day. I get why he is nervous. Why the hell are you nervous? And why the hell aren't you helping him? Like, it's just these little things in as isolated incidents, not a big deal. Combine them all together. Plus the history we have of Davey Martinez with his head scratching decisions. It's I'm like, I'm so far done with Davey Martinez. I could not be any more done with him. I think he's a terrible manager. He frankly got lucky with a really stacked roster in 2019 and that world series has bought him way too much time than he deserves and it's it, it like we're just stuck right now we're stuck in adding the ownership situation and i don't think they're going to make any any drastic changes until they sell and it's just we're it's stuck right now and it sucks but I'll, I'll end the rant there and let you guys take over because again i know we're going long with this episode but i am so freaking frustrated oh But I do have to mention (laughs) the freaking decision to pitch Mason Thompson three innings tonight. What is that? Why? 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 It makes no sense. Like Thompson had two phenomenal innings, like phenomenal. I was hyped. Mason Thompson's my guy. He was my pick for reliever of the year. uh, I've been high on Mason Thompson since the trade. The stuff is electric. He had two great innings. He was through two innings clean, six up, six down on 18 pitches. Phenomenal. Mm -hmm. You're going into eighth. You you have seven other guys to go to, seven other guys to go to, and you decide to go to Mason Thompson for a third. What do you think is going to happen? He end, ended up getting the first two outs, but then he gave up a solo shot. Granted, the game was out of reach anyways, but that's just poor managerial decision. Why the hell would you need Mason Thompson to go three innings? There is no reason. It's the right, fourth game now of the he season.
1: Probably can't it's pitch for at least fourth fourth two days. Game of the right, season.
3: Like There's no reason Mason Thompson needs to throw three innings. None whatsoever. Dumb, dumb, dumb managerial decision. I cannot stand it. End rant. Done.
1: And rant. Well, um I'm just going to co-sign that. I don't know that I can add anything more emphatic than, than yours, but I will say that I don't think we're going to see any coaching changes to speak of. I think the learners are largely checked out. I think until they sell the team they they don't seem to really care you know what's going on they're just going to kind of coast and leave things on autopilot which to me is the worst possible situation because we're in this rebuild we have a bunch of these young guys they've you know our, our farm system has gone from 30th to 10th you know there's there's some things happening that can be really positive for this team in two or three years but you have to have the right people working with those young players working with those prospects guiding the team in the right direction and I don't think that we have those people in place I think that I'm not as I don't know I'm not as negative on Rizzo as you are I think Nick although I I would like to see him I think it's time for a new I think it's time for a new voice a new direction I mean you know Rizzo's been here a real long time I just I think that we're in a whole new era of Nats baseball and they would do well to have a whole new group of coaches, player development, literally just start from scratch. Um, I don't think you're going to, but I think that's what's needed. And and my worst fear is that we waste the next maybe season or two while the learners are trying to get this team sold. And then the new owner comes in and makes these changes that ought to be made right now, or have already been made in this past off season.
2: I mean, I don't hide how I feel about any of these people. I think they're all idiots. Um, so I don't really have <laughs> that much to say. I'm pretty honest about them on on Twitter. I, I I just don't get what they do. I really don't. Everything they would do, I would do the opposite of. I don't understand why they started a left fielder in third base. I mean, sorry, sorry, um, third builder in left field today. Don't don't get yeah. that one at all. Especially because every time we talk to someone from MLB Pipeline, their answer is this farm is not where they should be. Baseball prospectus, if you read what they say about the Nats farm, they say this farm is not where it should be. Baseball America, all says the same. Why are you starting a 31-year-old who's not a left fielder in left field when you have two guys who play left field under the age of 30 that, who knows, maybe you could flex. But we won't know because they're starting a 31-year-old who's a third baseman in left field instead. I don't know. Yeah, that's one of those
1: ones that you just can't, like, why? I mean, why? And they just called Stone Garrett up. Like, why? Why, why don't you play him? Why and did of you call course, him up and not play him? Why are we doing this?
3: Of course, Vargas got a hit tonight, so he's going to feel vindicated in that decision too. Yeah. Uh, like, it just, it never yeah. ends. It never ends. It never like, ends.
1: And, and when the decisions work out, the process in – is important and even if the results are even if the results are okay that doesn't mean the process was okay i guess is where i'll i'll go with that
3: agreed so that that concludes the good the bad and the ugly that was phenomenal discussion round of applause you two that was that was great stuff. well done everyone and, and i hope hope you all are uh listening are still with us through, through that. Obviously the, you know, the majority of the attention was in the ugly segment, but we had some uh, things to get off our chest. So <laughs> it, it'll it uh, be a little bit more refined next time. Um, but we're going to get into some overreactions First series of the season in the books. And we have some thoughts. You had some thoughts too. We wanted to hear it. So we're going to react to your overreactions, but before we do that, we're going to pause for again, hopefully what is a word from our sponsors.
1: All right, we're back, and we are
3: talking overreactions. We asked you on Twitter for your overreactions after the first series, the first three games of the season, and we got some good ones. The common theme, and I, I hate to kind of lump them all in because they're all phenomenal. They're all great. But the common theme was Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore, Cy Young. Mackenzie Gore is going to yeah. usurp uh, Gray or everyone else uh, for to be the ace. like. I think I'm scrolling. I see four right now that are Mackenzie Gore, Cy Young. So we'll ask you guys, Mackenzie Gore, Cy Young. We're not going to say he's going to win it, but is he going to get Cy Young votes? Overreaction or good reaction?
1: Love it. I love it. It's an overreaction. I don't think he'll get Cy Young votes, but I, I would love to be wrong.
2: He'll he'll win one.
3: I, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Let's frame oh, we it. He will year, win one.
1: Win one. Maybe. Yes. I would. I, I would maybe go that. I wouldn't I'm, say. I'm this not, year I'm, I'm not
2: saying like when I'm saying he <laughs> will win one.
3: Yep. I agree. I like that. I like that. Next one. Darnell Coles and Jim Hickey both need to be fired. Amen. I mean, that, Retweet. that's, 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 republished. That could not be any more of a real reaction of a realistic reaction. I am all for that.
2: Swipe. Right. Super like tattoo republish. on my forehead subscribe and like and comment
3: <laughs> patreon <laughs> account pay for the subscription
2: <laughs> poke, on <Facebook. laughs> poke on facebook Poke on Facebook.
3: subscribe <laughs> to twitter blue like yeah yeah let's uh <laughs> let, let's second that um dom smith revenge season is officially gonna be a blast
2: well a blast is funny because he hasn't hit home run in about 700 days uh this is a reaction he's a bum yeah that's
1: an overreaction i'm i'm not on the dumb smith hype train
2: i think
3: it's a slight overreaction i'm actually granted he did not look good tonight but that's more trevor williams (laughs) and not just not being able to like move two feet off the mound but i've actually been pretty impressed with his defense maybe the bar is the floor considering how poorly we've been defensively and that's actually something i wanted to talk about we didn't get the chance to the defense aside from CJ Abrams and Trevor Williams has been phenomenal. Candelario has looked great. Garcia's made a couple of nice plays after him being not so sure handed uh, last year, defensively in the past couple of seasons, Victor Oblis has obviously flashed a leather a couple of times. Lane Thomas has flashed a leather a couple of times. Defenses look good, but I don't think Dom Smith is going to be like a blast to watch, but it's certainly nice to see the value he's added defensively. Uh, I do think I would rather see Ruiz, consistently hit 3 or 4 in front of smith and not behind smith but um i don't think he's going to be the worst player on the team i'll put it that way
1: oh high praise indeed
3: yeah um ryan actually kind of mentioned this about the brave series again this is the first three games of the series kyle finnegan was the brave's best player don't That's- hate don't kind of hate that take granted yeah. he only pitched in two of the games but the braves didn't look good
1: no, the Braves didn't look good and neither did. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know about the best player, but he definitely didn't have a great series. I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, he's kind of the odds on favor to be the closer. So I'm expecting improvement from him, but it was not, it was not a great beginning.
3: Yep. I agree all with it. it. Yep. Me too. Um. All right. Let's get into some KB Ruiz ones. KB Ruiz, a top three catcher in baseball
1: that's an overreaction
3: well you're just you're a hater
1: Sorry, (laughs) I mean talk to me and talk to me in three months if if he's I need more sample size I would like him to be one of the top three catchers
3: I'm not going to talk to you in three days at this rate you need to fix your attitude I'm a believer absolutely what he had the same OPS as Mike Trout hell yeah
2: better WRC plus than Mike Trout ninth in the league in OPS I'm a believer right on
1: I saw that tweet from you, Ryan. I was like, oh my God, the trolling is getting started early this season. I love it.
3: Mackenzie Gore pitching to KB Ruiz in the All-Star game is going to be chills. You think they both make the All-Star team?
1: Oh, I love that one. I don't know if they will, but I'm going to go with it. I love it.
3: (laughs) Yes. I don't hate it. Everyone gets a a representative. (laughs) (laughs) So we just need someone else to outperform their expectations. And listen, we have a shot, baby.
1: Yeah, and all we need is like, you know, a couple of the other catchers to get injured who we're gonna go, and then maybe Ruiz.
3: Yeah, because NL you have uh Will Smith, JT Real Muto, and then I guess Wilson Contreras, although he hasn't been an all-star actually, yeah, he was. He was Murphy. an all-star. Oh frick yeah. Murphy, yeah. All right, the NL is kind of loaded and catch. But so we're believer you need
1: some injuries. That's who
3: ha- who has the OPS? That Kebe Ruiz does. Nobody. Not even nobody. Mike Trout.
1: Here on April 3rd. Nobody.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, CJ Abrams, worst defensive shortstop since Derek Jeter.
2: I mean, it's <laughs> we don't, we don't, we, we don't hold on a second, hold on a second. We do not respond to Brian Chandler. Uh
3: you we do right. not
2: negotiate with Brian Chandler.
3: You're right. You're right. That's my bad. I, d- I did not look at the at. That's my bad. Um all right, moving on. Robles resurgence is real. Listen, no, he had one good game, but we did ask for overreaction. So I guess it qualifies, but let's be real. So
1: This is obviously an overreaction and I hope that he can, you know, he's so good defensively. If he can just become like passable offensively, I would consider that a resurgence, but I'm going to go with, I agree with this one just because I like to antagonize Nick.
3: (laughs) Shut up. Yeah. Uh Victor Robles. No. Nah. He's exactly who he has been for the past 4 years. Like he's just good defensively, but not not just not. He's just not. Like that's all I can put. <laughs> um all right, last one. Alex Call solidifies his spot in the lineup over Dickerson when Dickerson gets back obviously.
2: Uh no, because Alex Call just lost his job to a third baseman. <laughs> 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 it's
3: hard to argue. So that's Davy Martinez' logic for you.
1: I yeah, I can't I can't top that. I'm just gonna let Ryan have the last the last uh, word on that.
3: I'm pretty confident. I, I will. I don't know if you can bet on this. I'm pretty confident Corey Dickerson does not finish the year with the team, and that's not because he gets traded. I'm pretty sure he gets DFA'd at some point or released, whatever the. I guess it would technically yeah. be a release because he doesn't have options. Um. Yeah. I I think, I think he's toast. All right. That does it for the overreaction segment. Appreciate you guys sharing your thoughts. I am certainly hoping that your Gore Cy Young campaign reactions are not an overreaction, but certainly just a foreshadowing of what's to come because he was
1: Exactly proper act reaction. Yeah.
3: And we need more to uh, cheer about for this team. All right. Final thing before we wrap up our one big thing workshopping in the name a little bit. I, I want to have a nice clever name for it but basically final thoughts segment as we wrap up the shows you guys got anything before we head out
1: yeah i got something um kodai sanga's ghost fork pitch is the coolest thing ever i cannot stop. i pulled it up right now because i knew we were about to do this segment i can't stop watching the pitching ninja video of the Mm -hmm. slow motion with uh guriel just like throwing his bat away while he's trying to hit the pitch it's spectacular i'm so sad he's a met but that guy is going to be so much fun to watch i just japanese pitchers in general are fun to watch and uh kodai sanga's long anticipated um debut did not disappoint
3: no he was all and it just sucks that he's on the mets because i would like to root for him at least a little bit ryan you got a one big thing
2: yeah i do you know the tonight was ten thousand (laughs) seven (laughs) hundred. you do better we can, we can get hit that 8,000
1: <laughs> no is... lines for us for concessions 7,000
3: cool. take <laughs> it or leave it
2: look I love this for so many reasons uh, cheap tickets I can spread out and I don't have to wait in line for anything so everyone stop going to games <laughs> so when I go I have a better time
1: yeah and you hear that Allison stop going so you can host the spaces again <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah stop accidentally buying tickets supporting this team <laughs> um all right
1: two, Which is Nick
3: no hold on over under two months before the Nats do some sort of promotion giving out free tickets oh under you think under yeah I think it's absolutely in the cards for the season I'm just trying to figure out how soon it happens
1: oh you're they gonna get, try- they get a lot of games with ten thousand or less attendance it's gonna not be too they're
3: long. gonna try to frame it as uh like a good thing like you know, first 5,000 teachers to show their ID, get a free ticket to the, to the ballpark on a Wednesday, one o'clock game while all the teachers are in school. Like like that's what they're going to try to frame it as. I guarantee you it's going to happen. And I guarantee you people on Twitter are going to eat it up. Like it's not just a, a ploy to get more fans into the stands. Um, but yeah, uh, my one big thing is along the same lines, Christian over at district on deck, uh, Actually, no, sorry, it wasn't Christian. My apologies, Christian. It was Zach over at District on Deck. Uh wrote an article about Nat's Park, which Ryan and I have talked about Nats Park, I believe on the on the, the pod when we're you know talking stadium rankings or anything like that. Nats Park is kind of a dump, and I, I get people are gonna be defensive over their home turf, so to speak. Uh, but if you have gone to other stadiums, you quickly realize how poorly. Nats Park was designed in the first place and it certainly has not held out well. And it's crazy to believe that's already 15 years old. And Zach made a great point that the shelf life for MLB stadiums on average is only 30 years. So we're halfway through the expected shelf life of Nats Park. And I, I just am so glad that the response to that article was overwhelmingly in favor of the opinion that Nats Park is a dump because it is, and I, I think I can't remember who it was. I apologize for not getting credit, but they put it like they hit the the nail on the head that the architectural design or whatever you want to call it relied too heavily on concrete, and you know they thought that it was done so to mirror like the monument effect, like obviously with the the, the concrete and marbled stone, but like it just looked very cheap. And honestly, like it looks more like RFK than anything. RFK was kind of a dump when the Nats were playing there too. Obviously, yeah, the, but it was our or, dump. Yeah, I was gonna say RFK was like at the end of its end of its life when the Nats were playing there. Um, but they're just relying too heavily on concrete, and it just gives a cold, stale, unwelpo- unwelcoming appeal to Nats Park. And I cannot wait for hopefully a, a, a new stadium or at least massive massive renovations I can't see
1: a new one where would they put it
3: that's the thing I don't know that we're gonna get a new one um unless we get just like a Jeff Bezos type owner who just wants to like give us all the bells and whistles like we can dream um but I think they just hit it in the nail on the head and I'm happy Zach wrote that article because a lot of the times you write an article like that it's not going to be the most popular with this uh sensitive at times fan base most of the time fan base they like to defend their their gnats which is fine um but i, I was happy to see that because like i felt like i was in the minority for that for a while and now people are starting to see i think now that the team stinks they're, it's like the glass is shattered they're realizing the 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 picture the image in their mind has been shattered and they're realizing that the we surrounding beer
1: goggles that right exactly <laughs> like it, everything's not
3: as great as it cracked up to be Not that the team's not good and they're starting to turn a little bit and obviously you saw that with uh the season so many season ticket holders not renewing their plans and obviously the second lowest ever recorded attendance in that spark tonight
1: and there weren't that many people there i mean that's the paid attendance and you know that's right. a lot of people with season tickets who just aren't not actually going... at the stadium right. right
3: so it was just nice to see and not that i'm rooting for the da- well. I'm not rooting for the downfall of the Nats. They're still my team. I'm not switching, but I'm rooting for the downfall of Nats Park. I need major renovations to that to that joint because, like, it yeah. it's just I would not like fun. To
1: start with putting a damn sunshade over the kids' playground area and maybe some televisions large enough for us to actually see the game if we take our kids over there.
3: What was funny is like we were talking about the park in particular, like you just mentioned aspects to the park, and people are like, "Oh, concession lines need to be shorter." Like, yeah, you're not wrong, but that's like not really a, a park specific thing. <laughs> you know, it just yeah. kind of like escalated into in this. myriad
1: ways. And they're but like, yeah, there oh. are some design flaws for sure.
3: They're like the prices need to match the on-field production. Again, not wrong, but that's not exactly what we're talking about. And so it's just funny how like people just use it as a, a venting uh, avenue <laughs> um, to, to get out all of their bitching, which we're happy to be that for you, by the way bitch to us whenever you want we're happy to do it yeah that's
1: what this podcast is for us it's where we get to vent and do all of our bitching so (laughs) absolutely
3: absolutely so if you want to bitch some more be sure to follow us on twitter at half street high heat Um, Be sure to check out HalfStreetHighHeat.com for all the latest articles. And that's not just national specific either. That's covering the minor leagues, college baseball, and the rest of the MLB as well, with all of our phenomenal writers and Monty leading the way over at HalfStreetHighHeat.com. Be sure to check out HalfStreetHighHeat on YouTube. Trey putting out great content weekly. He had a great series preview for today for the race. He did the series preview against the Braves. He's been killing it with the shorts. So it's not even like he does put out the 25 minute breakdown videos, which are also great. But he's been killing the shorts game, too, which is like videos a minute or less that YouTube likes to promote. Kind of like the TikTok algorithm sort of uh, approach. Been killing that quick videos gives you all the pertinent information. Trey has been killing it over on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to Half Street High Heat over there. And of course, follow us all on Twitter, Amanda at a white seven eight seven seven, Ryan at we are all shack, and myself at the coach moose. And oh, also check out districtondeck.com as well for all the latest national specific writing over there. We got you covered every which way. So be sure to support us. And again, bitch to us whenever you want. We enjoy it. So we're all in this together. So we might as well, you know, air our grievances out so that way we're not letting them fester build up inside because then the
1: Festivus,
3: yeah because then we just turn into ryan where we you know everyone's a terrorist and nothing will be stopped or stop us until we get world domination so there can only be one and we're kind of deferring to ryan at this point so he's the only one allowed to do that so all right that does it for this episode we will be back next week covering the ray series and whatever series is after that i forget but i'm not sure at all matters too much with the state of the nats but that does it for this episode we appreciate listening and in the meantime let's go
0: now there's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the potomac a new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents the nationals are smashing balls so at the commentator who has the cause this past the wall to we'll see you later